Stories, fables, ghostly tales. Welcome, listeners, to a brand new set of stories. In fact, they're Irish fairy tales by James Stephens in 1920. There are 11 stories in this book, and I'm going to go through all of them in time. Today, though, I'm starting at number one, the story of Tuan Mac Carrell, a struggle of willpower, defeat, new hope, and a tale as old as time itself. We learn about Finian the Abbot of Moville and Tuan Mac Carrell, a god in his own right, from multiple lineages, with a rich history to share with those that are willing to listen. It takes a little bit of time to pick up, but once it gets rolling, it's really interesting. And the language used in these stories is just mesmerizing. The words they use are sort of poetic. You'll see what I mean. I'll be linking the book in the show notes just in case you want to get some bedtime reading. It's of course 100% free, so dig in <laughs> and share it around. And I want your feedback on whether you enjoy the story. I'm reading through chapters 1 to 5 out of 11 chapters today, then the rest on Wednesday. So once you hear the whole thing, I'd love to hear your thoughts on the story. So as always, something different, folks. And a really warm Talforge Road to my Irish listeners. So I have my milk and honey drink piping hot, ready to skull down. And I hope you have something warm and cozy to drink as well. Now, turn off the lights, get cozy and warm. And listen to a tale of old. The Story of Tuan Mac Cairil Chapter 1 Finian, the abbot of Moville, went southwards and eastwards in great haste. News had come to him in Donegal that there were yet people in his own province who believed in gods that he did not approve of. And the gods that we do not approve of are treated scurvily, even by saintly men. He was told of a powerful gentleman who observed neither saint's day nor Sunday. A powerful person, said Finian. All that, was the reply. We shall try this person's power, said Finian. He is reputed to be a wise and hardy man, said his informant. We shall test his wisdom and his hardihood. He is, that gossip whispered. He is a magician. I will magician him, cried Finian angrily. Where does that man live? He was informed and he proceeded to that direction without delay. In no great time he came to the stronghold of the gentleman who followed ancient ways, and he demanded admittance in order that he might preach and prove the new god, and exorcise and terrify and banish even the memory of the old one. For to a god grown old, time is as ruthless as to a beggar man grown old. But the Ulster gentleman refused Finian's admittance. He barricaded his house, he shuttered his windows, and in a gloom of indignation and protest, he continued the practices of ten thousand years, and would not hearken to Finian calling at the window, or to time knocking at his door. But of those adversaries, it was the first he redoubted. Finian loomed on him as a portent and a terror, 
but he had no fear of time. Indeed, he was the foster brother of time, and so disdainful of the bitter god that he did not even disdain him. He leapt over the scythe, he dodged under it, and the sole occasions on which time laughs is when he chances on Tuan, the son of Kaeril, the son of Muradek Redneck. Chapter 2 Now, Finian could not abide that any person should resist both the gospel and himself, and he proceeded to force the stronghold by peaceful but powerful methods. He fastened on the gentleman, and he did so to such purpose that he was admitted to the house. For to a hospitable heart, the idea that a stranger may expire on your doorstep from sheer famine cannot be tolerated. The gentleman, however, did not give in without a struggle. He thought that when Finian had grown sufficiently hungry, he would lift the siege and take himself off to some place where he might get food. But he did not know Finian. The great abbot sat down on a spot just beyond the door, and composed to all that might follow from his action. He bent his gaze on the ground between his feet, and entered into a meditation from which he could only be released by admission or death. The first day passed quietly. Often the gentleman would send a servitor to spy if that deserter of the gods was still before his door, and each time the servant replied that he was still there. He will be gone in the morning, said the hopeful master. On the morrow, the state of the siege continued, and through that day the servants were sent many times to observe through spy holes. Go, he would say, and find out if the worshipper of new gods has taken himself away. But the servants returned each time with the same information. The new druid is still there, they said. All through that day, no one could leave the stronghold, and the enforced seclusion wrought on the minds of the servants, while the cessation of all work banded them together in small groups that whispered and discussed and disputed. Then these groups would disperse to peep through the spy hole at the patient, immobile figure seated before the door, wrapped in a meditation that was timeless and unconcerned. They took fright at the spectacle, and once or twice a woman screamed hysterically and was bundled away with a companion's hand clapped over her mouth so that the ear of the master should not be affronted. He has his own troubles, they said. It is a combat of the gods that is taking place. So much for the women, but the men also were uneasy. They prowled up and down, tramping from the spy hole to the kitchen, and from the kitchen to the turreted roof. And from the roof, they would look down on the motionless figure below and speculate on many things, including the staunchness of man, the qualities of their master, and even the possibility that the new gods might be as powerful as the old. From these peepings and discussions they would return, languid and discouraged. If, said one irritable guard, if we buzzed a spear at the persistent stranger, or if one slung at him with a jagged pebble, what? His master demanded, wrathfully, Is a spear to be thrown at an unarmed stranger? And from this house? 
and he soundly scuffed that indelicate servant. Be at peace, all of you, he said, for hunger has a whip, and he will drive the stranger away in the night. The household retired to wretched beds, but for the master of the house there was no sleep. He marched his halls all night, going often to the spy hole, to see if that shadow was still sitting in the shade, and pacing thence, tormented, preoccupied, refusing even the nose of his favourite dog as it pressed lovingly into his closed palm. On the morrow he gave in. The great door was swung wide, and two of his servants carried Finian into the house, for the saint could no longer walk or stand upright by reason of the hunger and exposure to which he had submitted. But his frame was tough, as the unconquerable spirit that dwelt within it, and in no long time he was ready for whatever might come of dispute or anathema. Being quite re-established, he undertook the conversion of the master of the house, and the siege he laid against that notable intelligence was long spoken of among those who were interested in such things. He had beaten the disease of Mugain, a legendary queen in the Ulster Cycle. He had beaten his own pupil, the great Colm Seely. He beat Tuan also, and just as the latter's door had opened to the persistent stranger, so his heart opened, and Finian marched there to do the will of God and his own will. One day they were talking together about the majesty of God and his love, for although Tuan had now received much instruction on this subject, he yet needed more and he laid as close a siege on Finian as Finian had before that laid on him. But man works outwardly and inwardly. After rest he has energy, after energy he needs repose. So, when we have given instruction for a time, we need instruction, and must receive it or the spirit faints, and wisdom herself grows bitter. Therefore Finian said, Tell me now about yourself, dear heart. But Tuan was avid of information about the true God. No, no, he said. The past has nothing more of interest for me, and I do not wish anything to come between my soul and its instruction. Continue to teach me, dear friend and saintly father. I will do that, Finian replied. But I must first meditate deeply on you, and must know you well. Tell me your past, my beloved, for a man is his past and is to be known by it. But Tuan pleaded, Let the past be content with itself, for a man needs forgetfulness as well as memory. My son, said Finian, all that has ever been done has been done for the glory of God, and to confess our good and evil deeds is part of instruction, for the soul must recall its acts and abide by them or renounce them by confession and penance. Tell me your genealogy first, and by what descent you occupy these lands and stronghold, and then I will examine your acts and your conscience. Tuan replied obediently, I am known as Tuan, son of Keril, son of Murdak Redneck, and these are the hereditary lands of my father. The saint nodded. I am not as well acquainted with Ulster genealogies as I should be, yet I know something of them. I am by blood 
a Leinsterman. He continued, Mine is a long pedigree. Duan murmured. Finian received that information with respect and interest. I also, he said, have an honorable record. His host continued, I am indeed Tuan, the son of Stan, the son of Sira, who was brother to Partholon. But, said Finian in bewilderment, there is an error here, for you have recited two different genealogies. Different genealogies indeed, replied Tuan thoughtfully. But they are my genealogies. I do not understand this, Finian declared roundly. I am known as Tuan Mac-Caril, the other replied. But in the days of old I was known as Tuan Mac-San, Mac-Sira. The brother of Partholon, the saint gasped. That is my pedigree, Tuan said. But... Finian objected in bewilderment. Pavalon came to Ireland not long after the flood. I came with him, said Tuan mildly. The saint pushed his chair back hastily and sat staring at his host. And as he stared, the blood grew chill in his veins and his hair crept along his scalp and stood on end. Chapter 4 But Finian was not one who remained long in bewilderment. He thought of the might of God and he became that might, and was tranquil. He was one who loved God and Ireland, and to the person who could instruct him in these great themes, he gave all the interest of his mind, and the sympathy of his heart. It is a wonder you tell me, my beloved, he said, and now you must tell me more. What must I tell? asked Tuan, resignedly. Tell me of the beginning of time in Ireland, and of the bearing of Patholon, the son of Noah's son. I have almost forgotten him, said Tuan. A greatly bearded, greatly shouldered man he was, a man of sweet deeds and sweet ways. Continue, my love, said Finian. He came to Ireland in a ship. Twenty-four men and twenty-four women came with him. But before that time, no man had come to Ireland, and in the western part of the world... No human being lived or moved. As we drew on Ireland from the sea, the country seemed like an unending forest, far as the eye could reach, and in whatever direction there were trees, and from these there came the unceasing singing of birds. Over all that land, the sun shone warm and beautiful, so that our sea-weary eyes, our wind-tormented ears, it seemed as if we were driving on paradise. We landed and heard the rumble of water going gloomily through the darkness of the forest. Following the water we came to a glade, where the sun shone and where the earth was warmed. And there, Pathalon rested with his twenty-four couples and made a city and a livelihood. There were fish in the river of Ear. There were animals in her coverts. Wild and shy and monstrous creatures ranged in her plains and forests. Creatures that one could see through and walk through. Long we lived in ease, and we saw new animals grow. The bear, the wolf, the badger, the deer, and the boar. Partholon's people increased until from twenty-four couples there came five thousand people, who lived in amity and contentment, although they had no wits. 
They had no wits, Finian commented. They had no need of wits, Tuan said. I had heard the firstborn were mindless, said Finian. Continue your story, my beloved. Then, sudden as a rising wind, between one night and a morning, there came a sickness that bloated the stomach and purpled the skin. And on the seventh day, all the race of Partholon were dead, save one man only. There always escapes one man, said Finian thoughtfully. And I am that man, his companion affirmed. Tuan shaded his brow with his hand, and he remembered backwards, through incredible ages, to the beginning of the world and the first days of Ea. And Finian, with his blood again running chill, and his scalp crawling uneasily, stared backwards with him. Tell on, my love. Finian murmured. I was alone, said Tuan. I was so alone that my own shadow frightened me. I was so alone that the sound of a bird in flight, or the creaking of a dew-drenched bough, whipped me to cover as a rabbit is scared to his burrow. The creatures of the forest scented me, and I knew I was alone. They stole with silken pad behind my back, and snarled when I faced them. The long grey wolves, with hanging tongues and staring eyes, chased me to my cleft rock. There was no creature so weak, but it might hunt me. There was no creature so timid, but it might outface me. And so I lived for two tens of years and two years, until I knew all that a beast surmises, and had forgotten all that a man had known. I could pad as gently as any. I could run as tirelessly. I could be invisible and patient as a wildcat, crouching among leaves. I could smell danger in my sleep, and leap at it with wakeful claws. I could bark and growl, and clash with my teeth, and tear with them. Tell on, my beloved, said Finian. You shall rest in God, dear heart. At the end of that time, said Tuan, Nemed, the son of Agnoman, came to Ireland with a fleet of thirty-four barks. In each bark, there were thirty couples of people, I have heard it, said Finian. My heart leapt for joy when I saw the great fleet rounding the land, and I followed them along scraped cliffs, leaping from rock to rock like a wild goat, while the ships tacked and swung seeking a harbour. There I stooped to drink at a pool, and I saw myself in the chill water. I saw that I was hairy and tufty and bristled as a savage boar, that I was lean as a stripped bush, that I was greyer than a badger, withered and wrinkled like an empty sack, naked as a fish, wretched as a starving crow in winter, and on my fingers and toes there were great curving claws, so that I looked like nothing that was known, like nothing that was animal or divine. And I sat by the pool weeping, my loneliness and wildness, and my stern old age, and I could do no more than cry and lament between the earth and the sky, while the beasts that tracked me listened from behind the trees, or crouched among bushes, 
to stare at me from their drowsy covert. A storm arose, and when I looked again from my tall cliff, I saw the great fleet rolling as in a giant's hand. At times they were pitched against the sky and staggered aloft, spinning gustily there like wind-blown leaves. Then they were hurled from these dizzy tops to the flat moaning gulf, to the glassy inky horror that swirled and whirled between ten waves. At times a wave leaped howling under a ship, and with a buffet dashed it into air, and chased it upwards with a thunder stroke on stroke, and followed again, close as a chasing wolf, trying with hammering on hammering to beat in the wide wombed bottom, and suck out the frightened lives through one black gape. A wave fell on a ship and sunk it down with a thrust, stern as though a whole sky had tumbled at it, and the bark did not cease to go down until it crashed and sank in the sand at the bottom of the sea. The night came, and with it a thousand darknesses fell from the screeching sky. Not a round-eyed creature of the night might pierce an inch of that multiplied gloom. Not a creature dared creep or stand. For a great wind strode the world, lashing its league-long whips in cracks of thunder and singing to itself, now in a worldwide yell, now in an ear-dizzying hum and buzz, or with a long snarl and whine, it hovered over the world searching for life to destroy. And at times, from the moaning and yelping blackness of the sea, there came a sound. Thin drawn as from millions of miles away, distinct as though uttered in the ear like a whisper of confidence. And I knew that a drowning man was calling on his god as he thrashed and was battered into silence. And that a blue-lipped woman was calling on her man as her hair whipped round her brows and she whirled about like a top. Around me, the trees were dragged from earth with dying groans. They leapt into the air and flew like birds. Great waves whizzed from the sea, spinning across the cliffs and hurtling to the earth in monstrous clots of foam. The very rocks came trundling and sidling and grinding among the trees. And in that rage, and in that horror of blackness, I fell asleep. Or I was beaten into slumber. So, what did you think so far? A bit of a mystery? A bit of intrigue? The narrative certainly flows differently to most stories. The manner of speech, or rather dialogue between characters, is also very different. I can't help but think that some of the translations between Tuan and Finian are a little off. Perhaps when Finian says beloved, he means friend. And by heart, he might mean spirit or person. But I could be wrong. What do you think? The beginning of this story always draws me in, as it shows a uniquely different flow of respect, actions, and punishment to subordinates that other fairy tales don't align with. Irish fairy tales seem more tempered, more down-to-earth, or more reserved, which I found quite refreshing, yet altogether strange. I'm used to hands being cut off, or heads rolling when someone farts out of line during a master's dialogue, or people just being killed on the spot. I'm liking this one so far though, and I can't wait to read the rest on Wednesday, mate, so stick with me then. Stay unique, my seely fairies, and stay mysterious, my unseely fairies. 
And as always, till next time.